last few messages um, from the book of Romans and Michael and I sat down we had hoped to be done with the book of Romans by the end of the year um, however that's not going to happen there's too much in these last three chapters or four to just pass over when I started the book of Romans uh, 30 messages ago so that's been over 30 some weeks ago my goal was to have a record of doctrinal and theological messages so that when new people come to this church and they say, what do you believe? They could go to Sermon Audio or you could go to even Facebook where our messages are stored um, and listen to, well, here's what we believe because the book of Romans is by far um, deeper in doctrine and theology than any other book in the entire Bible, covering all subject matter. And so we're, the, like I said, the last few weeks, um, the messages talk about to service and speak to Christians, um, followers of Jesus and their relationship to other believers, their relationship to unbelievers, uh, their relationship to folks that are considered their enemies. And last week, Michael covered our relationship to the state or to government, um, which he seemed real happy about, I, I, I remember when listening to that. Um, but uh, God established and and ordained three institutions throughout Scripture. Um, in Genesis 2, uh, we see that uh, God ordained the home and established the home. Um, we see in Genesis 9 that, that God established government and ordained government. And then in Acts chapter 2, God ordained and established the church. And in doing so, never did he abdicate his throne. Never did he give that complete power over to individuals because he's the ones that places, uh, you know, the leaders of government as Michael covered last week. And in this chapter, Paul gave us um, four reasons why that, that we are to be subject as Christians, to government. Michael um, covered two of them last week in chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, and I will cover the other two um, this week in Romans 13, uh, 8 through 14. And as we see, you know, last week, number one was the, one of the reasons that we are to be subject to government um, is for wrath sake man is a sinner and must have some form of ruling authority over him and that's what was established in genesis chapter 9 and for you know and one of the examples that you know you hear a lot about and there's a lot of controversy capital punishment was found in in as early as in genesis chapter 9 and it was not abolished anywhere else in Scripture. And 
So, you know, we, we, we see some of that ruling authority. We see in Exodus chapter 20 the Ten Commandments um, that were given as instruction to govern, not just as the law, but instruction to govern. And uh, let me do a little sidebar here. I don't care how many times the courts um, take the Ten Commandments out of schools and, and our courtrooms and, and anywhere else they want to remove them. They're still God's authority to govern, and, and no matter what they do. Uh, the second reason was, was for conscience' sake. Uh, any Christian can obey out of fear of punishment, um, but a Christian ought to obey the laws of the land and their government and and rules and and different you know how uh, thing because of the conscience that we have. In other words, followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit that lives in you and His prodding. Um, and and let me let me say a little something about that. If you can dis, be disobedient and unruly, and and not obey the laws of the land and 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 the the government, and then <laughs> and the prodding of the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, I don't have that conscience or prodding of the Holy Spirit. You're not saved. It's just that simple. You're not saved because the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And he speaks to us. And he's not going to do things or tell you things that is contrary to what you find in the Scripture. And so... You know, you can bust through them and sin, and, and, and I understand. But I'm saying if you don't have a still, small voice that speaks to you, you're probably not saved because the Holy Spirit speaks to his children, and he, he spanks his children. People ask me all the time, what's two far ways that you know you're saved? Conviction and chastening of God or a changed life. It, it's just that simple. Um, and if you have neither, then you're probably not saved. You're trusting in something other than the Christ of the cross and his blood that saved you. And so, anyhow, the second reason is for conscience sake. And and if government is in disagreement with biblical values, um, one should obey God first, as Michael stated last, last week very plainly. And in these six verses that we're going to read today, we are given the two other reasons, for wrath's sake, for conscience' sake, and then we'll see the other two as we read Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14, that they'll put on the board for you. Repay, owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who commits, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandments, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. 
Then he goes into the second one, and that's put on Christ. And do this, knowing the time that is now, that it is now high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, and the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry or in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and in lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So the third reason in those first couple verses is for love's sake. We, sh- we should obey the law and, and submit to government for wrath's sake because there's a penalty when we disobey. We should for conscience' sake because the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us about doing right. And now Paul gives us we must, we must obey for love's sake. And One must, we as Christians must also understand that Christianity never became a movement to improve the government. Never, the the disciples was dismayed by that fact. They thought Jesus was going to be king of government. And so that isn't the reason it was for us to help society or to clean up a town or a capital. Um... The gospel message always has, always uh, will be, and, and is, was, and always will be. Um, simply the power of God unto salvation. Now the result of the gospel and salvation may be cleaning up the government. You, you want one thing to fix Washington, D.C. and the, the mess it's in right now? If they'd all truly get saved and trust Christ and follow the convictions of this book, it'd fix it in a heartbeat. It's just that simple. You have a bunch of, of professors that are not possessors of Christ. They're, they're, they're religious individuals. And we know what religion did to our Savior they put him on the cross. And so um, with that, um, the men, you know, <laughs> the men who made our laws for this country, let's, let's move, you know, to, to us right now, had biblical backgrounds and, and Christian values and, and that's why it's so important. I, I tell folks all the time, uh, it's important for Christians, if led by the Spirit of God, to get involved into polit- political office and run for political office and not allow political office to corrupt you. Um, I, I, I can tell you, men, I, I can remember when, when at least a couple guys that, that were in our church were involved in the local little league and and midget football program. They did not have. They did not have practice on Wednesday evenings. 
that's a result of Christian values being in local politics. That's, those are political voted on positions. They didn't have, you know, games on Wednesday nights and, 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 and games on Sunday morning. Now, they had, may have had them on Sunday afternoon, but they didn't have them on Sunday morning during church because it's important you know, for us to be involved. Um, th- their boards, you know, they, they just set that policy because those men were in positions to make, help make those decisions. And Christian needs, Christians need to be involved in, in local activities and, and political offices. Uh, Michael and I, I, I don't know how long ago it was, we went to hear Franklin Graham. Uh, on the, we, we went to West Virginia, and we all also went to Columbus when he spoke when he was doing the Decision America. And, and one of the things that he you know, impressed upon me during those was encouraging folks to run for political office and be on their school boards and be on their town councils because we can see right now what's happened in some school systems as a result of corrupt school board members with some of the garbage that's being pushed um, upon our kids. And, 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 and I realized it just this year when my daughter had to pull our granddaughter out of the public school system in Lexington simply because of some of the trash that, that was being taught and, and being allowed. And, and so, you know, it's important for us to be in, in those positions as Christians and, not, and, and to maintain our, our biblical and Christian values, not be swayed, uh, you know, uh, with the, the worldly way of thinking. Nothing wrong with our government. It, it, it's simply in the hands of folks who don't have any moral, biblical, or Christian values. And so uh, I, I'll, I'll get off of that high horse. Um, I, I, they've sold out to the enemy, folks, it, it's, and, and to the almighty dollar. It's, it's just the truth. And so Paul starts in this passage with owe no man nothing. Many scholars will interpret that to mean Christians should have no debt. Um, However, I find nowhere in my Bible that forbids borrowing or legal transactions involving interest. I, I you may find it. I don't find it anywhere. I see this scripture that I think Paul is simply saying, did you borrow your neighbor's lawnmower? Take it back. You know, did, did you get 20 bucks from, from a family member or a friend um, for lunch last week at work? Pay it back. Don't owe any man anything. Be one of good Christian character. And because, you know... What we see discussed in the scriptures is dishonesty and, and the fact of loan sharking. You know, high interest um, loan sharking is, is really, you know, some of what Zacchaeus was even accused of for, for Rome. And, and when you look at, and, and, and even Matthew and, uh, as a tax collector, and what you see 
um, was that they were being considered as robbing the brethren. But it wasn't talk about borrowing or, or, or legal interest. The, it's failing to pay the honest debt. And so verses, there, there's actually, if you follow the scripture, there's verses in Matthew and Luke that indicate um, that banking and investing for gain is not wrong. And so, however, you know, one must stop there and, and take note that when you get in over your head or you, you have contracts, um, whether they be credit cards or installment loans, that you, you cannot maintain and, and pay back, that's, that's different. And, and, you know, it, it's called debt to income if you want to know what the terminology is for it. And you can't, you can't pay what's more than you make. And, and so, you know, Paul says, oh, no man, nothing here. And, you know, I, I, people, people ask, I, I've, not all the time, they ask some of the time. People say some of the time, preacher, I just can't, I can't tithe. I, I can't give, you know. Well, then get yourself out of debt and don't go back in the same way that you were so that you can give. You know, it, it's, you pay off your car, don't go buy two more new cars. Get yourself in a place where you can give and, 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 and support the ministry of God's work. Uh, I, I don't say a lot about giving. Uh, I, it's, it's not a, a drum that I beat on um, because God has faithfully taking care of us here. It's why I have the squeebie-jeebies about taking two offerings. I don't want folks to feel like I'm trying to fleece them on Sunday morning. Um, but I think God expects his people to tithe. It, it's a principle. In fact, I think God expects you to do more than tithe. If, you're, if you've been given more to where whom much is given, much is required. I tell the story of a, of a gentleman that I know is a drywall contractor. Now, started out with him and his sons, a drywall contractor in Chicago, Illinois. And he, he made up his mind that he was going to start giving 10% of his total income. Everything the company made, I'm going to give 10% of it. He gave 10% and his business doubled as he gave, which means he was giving double. He said, so I decided, well, if I give 20%, maybe my business will quadruple. So he started giving 20% of his business. He, at one point in time, was the largest drywall contractor this side of the Mississippi River. The largest. The last year that I heard, his company netted, not, not gross, netted, over $25 million because he started giving. And the more he gave, the more God blessed him. And also, the year that he made $25 million, he was keeping 10% of his profits and giving 80% to the ministry. God expects us to give. God expects us to have our finances and our debt in control where that we can give.
to the ministry. And if you want to be blessed, God blesses a cheerful giver. And it's that, that, that's scripture. And then you have uh, those that say, well, yeah, God blesses the uncheerful. Yes, he does. But it says God blesses the cheerful giver. So if when you look at this, however, and you go into Paul has really centered in this passage of scripture on the human heart as the root of the problem. He's not just talking about our giving. He's not talking about our paying of debt. He's really talking about the human heart because he moves into this love one another. And he talks about things that where we really don't love people if if the problem is, you know, we're we're committing adultery. You can't love and commit adultery if with your neighbor if you're committing adultery there. You if if you're having sex outside of marriage, you're not loving your spouse. If if you're murdering someone, there it's 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 not love. And he goes through this litany of things, bearing false witness, lying, stealing. If you love, you won't be involved in these actions. And our love is revealed, tweet this, our love is revealed in our actions, the things that we do rather than what we say. You know, we can talk a good game. I I know a lot of people that, have Christianese language, but they have Satan actions. And, and so, you know, we, we, we uh, our love manifests itself in not committing adultery and, and being disobedient to God's, God's divine list of actions that are sin, murder, uh, stealing, and, and coveting, and, and he is not placing us back under the law with these scriptures. He is saying that you don't do these things when you love people. And so love becomes the third. Loving your neighbor is the fullness of the law. In fact, is exactly the words he used. It's just showing that you, you are being Christ-like because you love people and you don't do things like that to people that you dislike or you hate. And so we've come a long way in these first 10 verses and, and in our reasons for obeying the law and uh, the laws of our land. One is for fear, one is for conscience, one is for love. And then he turns to the ultimate reason. The fourth and final, it's for Jesus' sake. As, as servants, we, sh- we should want to be found, we should want to be found faithful when he returns. And, and, and in a, you know, look what it says. Now it is high time to awake out of our sleep. For now, Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Well, we could all say amen, raise our both hands, you know. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. And we have to realize Paul stated this 2,000 years ago. And, And certainly, 
today, we should say with more urgency in the day that we are living in. Um, let, Let me give you my translation. Paul is sounding an alarm. Wake up. Christians, wake up. It, it, wake up out of our sleep, our complacency, our Christianese society. For our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. An alarm clock ought to be going off to awaken believers in this day and age who have gone to sleep in this country and around the world uh, that, that we are living in. For it is high time the Christian take heed to what's happening around us. If you can't see God involved in our government in the past six-year cycle, you're not looking. It's just that simple. We're ready to have a rebellion and change the system because the Supreme Court is just simply debating abortion. Not that they've made a decision yet. They're just debating it. It's high time that we understand this is a time for Christians to take heed of what is happening around us. And I I think Christians are going to be embarrassed someday when the Lord comes. Uh, I, I think the church is going to be embarrassed. Things that they have built bank accounts around and taken stances on and, and put emphasis on idols and possessions. And, and man, I know folks who have unsaved loved ones and, and they will care more about one's physical uh, condition and material possession than one's spiritual condition. Should we, (laughs) sure we should think about their health and, and welfare, but eternal damnation is just that, folks. It's eternal, and they are going to burn in hell forever someday, and the fire is not quenched and the worm dies not. Have we forgot that as Christian people? What in the world is wrong with Christian society in this day and age? I, I, I don't understand. Linda and I sat in a, in a house full of probably a hundred Christian people a few weeks ago. And they were all tore up about an unsaved loved one's physical condition. And, and what needed to be done. Not one sentence from anyone other than the two of us. Not one sentence. Not one. 
word was even spoken about that individual's need for the Savior. Do I need to sound the alarm again? One of us better leading to Christ is what I started spreading around the room. If we really are looking for the return of Christ, it will change your life. It'll change your life, your way of thinking, your thoughts, your action. That's the gist of this. When it comes to obeying the laws of the land, the government, and the way you think about eternity... If you truly believe what you say you believe, it'll change you. It'll change your actions. It'll change your perspective. People are going to spend eternity in one of two places. Write that down. Tweet that. Heaven or hell someday. That's it. There is nothing else. Everybody you come in contact and you look at is going to spend eternity in one of two places and they're either saved or lost. There's no place for passiveness in Christianity in this day and age. Our behaviors, our beliefs need to align. Drunkenness. And I said drunkenness. Drunkenness, sexual perversion, sexual promiscuity, the way that Christians are living, adultery, material possession. Let us walk properly. Look again at verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Paul had come to where the rubber meets the road in this passage to the church in Rome. That was a wealthy society that he's speaking to. It's time to wake up, is what he said. It's time to clean up. And it's time to grow up. I I, I could have put those three points in this. Wake up, clean up your act, and grow up. Put on Jesus means to be more like him, is what Paul was saying. A Christian ought to be the best citizen that they can be. Not, here's one. Non-believers ought to want their kids to marry our kids. Why? Because of the way they act. Because of their moral values. Because of their behavior. Employers ought to want to employ us and our children. Simply because of the way that we act. The the way that we treat other people and love them. The way that we obey the law. The way that we treat people. Our character speaks volume, is what the gist of these 
six or eight verses. Christians may not always agree on politics or parties. However, they can all agree on their attitude toward government and our Christ's likeness should always precede our politics. That's what Paul's trying to tell us. I see folks on social media using the F-bomb that, that folks in, of, that, that are owners, members in this church, I've seen it. Vulgar language and lewd comments and pictures. And all I want to do is say, wake up. Clean up. Grow up. You're a child of the king. You ought to look different. You ought to act different. You ought to sound different. Why, preacher? Because your unsafe friends and family members are watching you. And you just drug Christ and your testimony through the gutter. Your neighbors, the people that you work with, ought not be hearing you talk and look and act like the world. They ought to be able to just look at you by your honesty and your Christian character and your vocabulary. I'm I'm not talking about obnoxiously stealing time from the employer to stand around and witness and disrupt your job. That's dishonest too, by the way. I learned that early in life. I worked as a machinist, got hired in as a machinist at McCorkle Machine Shop, and I had some old guy. Every time we'd take our morning break, our noontime lunch, I, I'm, I'm kind of a loner. I don't like to sit with a bunch of people when I'm eating. I'd get off by myself, and I was unsaved at the time. I wasn't in church. And this old guy would always come to me during my break and sit down. He'd pull up a five-gallon bucket and sit beside me. And he'd want to witness to me. And I'm like, man, ain't you got anything better? Eat your lunch. Do this on company time so, I, you know, I'm, you're, you're disrupting my lunch. That's before the days of staring at your phone. I'd get a paper and want to read the sports page. He'd want to come over with his Bible and talk to me about Jesus. I'm like, my goodness, do that on the company's time is what I want to say. But he had a principle, and he shared it with me. He said, I do this on my time. Because when I'm at work, I ought to be working, not rattling around on my phone or whatever it is people do. I fired people for getting their phone out on company time when I was in business. You say, you're mean. No, I was just factual, giving the warning to her three times, say, if you don't quit it, you're stealing. Hit the road. What's all that? What is it all? We should obey the laws of the land and our government because folks ought to see Christ in us. And our kids are watching.
I want to be like Randy Moss. Come on, man, don't you know better than that? We know better. We're in a society that, that of Christian people that literally want to push our sin to the side. You listen to folks pray. Very seldom do you ever hear anyone pray, Lord, forgive me of my sin. We don't want to acknowledge our actions and our behaviors, realizing that they're affecting the cause of Christ. It's very simple. There's no place for passiveness. We must, as Christian people, live like Christ if we expect to win the lost. Just that simple. Let's stand.